Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. All right. Welcome, Boards Insiders. It's Patrick Beeman, your usual host. This is the Study Smarter series for the USMLA Step 2 and Shelf Exams Surgery Edition. Today, I just want to go over some quick hit, high yield questions from Stat Pearls. Stat Pearls mission is to provide affordable, high quality education for medical students and other healthcare professionals. They have a giant list of free online peer reviewed and PubMed index review articles, as well as, for our purposes, the most comprehensive peer reviewed database of multiple choice questions ever developed. You can sign up for a free account by going to statpearls.com. At any rate, today I wanted to cover some things about hernias, since that is a big general surgery topic. Here we go. So first up, what is a hernia? A hernia is a protrusion of an organ or a portion of an organ through a body wall. We'll look at some congenital and acquired And for the purposes of boards, um, there's a few specific kinds of abdominal wall hernias you need to know. Inguinal hernias, of which there are two types, direct and indirect. Femoral hernias and umbilical hernias. We'll take inguinal hernias first. In an inguinal hernia, intra-abdominal contents protrude through the deep inguinal ring. Those are indirect inguinal hernias. Or there's a protrusion of intra-abdominal contents through the weakened posterior wall of the inguinal canal. Those are the direct inguinal hernias. But despite being asymptomatic most often, pain and um, features of an intestinal obstruction are signs of a obviously complicated inguinal hernia. Inguinal hernias are the most common type of hernias of the abdominal wall. There's like three quarters of cases and one of the most common general surgical procedures in the United States. Of the two types of inguinal hernias, indirect inguinal hernias are the most common for both males and females. Some fast facts you need to know for the boards. Indirect inguinal hernias can be congenital or acquired, and they're due to a patent processus vaginalis. Direct inguinal hernias can be caused directly by you. They are acquired, uh, caused by weakening of the transversalis fascia, and the risk factors are increased abdominal pressure, so somebody who has COPD or a power lifter, uh, constipation, basically things that increase intra-abdominal pressure. All right, so we are going to do a little imaginative exercise to help you remember some things about inguinal hernias. So imagine you are facing a patient, facing a patient's abdominal wall, and focus on that patient's left side. We're going to use the principle of remember one, and then the other one's the other one. So you're facing a patient looking at their anatomical left side. This is kind of a weird mnemonic, but it's the sort of thing I would use to remember facts that I'd always jumble in my mind. Uh, So... If it works for you, great. If not, come up with your own. Imagine writing the ABCs along the patient's abdominal wall. So ABC, left to right, like usual. And under the ABCs that are written out, write the words hernia 
or the word hernia. Draw a line below the word hernia. So that line represents the inferior epigastric vasculature, which forms the um, common anatomical link, if you will, to indirect and direct inguinal hernias. Now, if you look at the word hernia that you've written above that line, you'll notice that it begins with the letter H. You'll notice, too, that the letter I is lateral to the letter H in the alphabet you've written, and when you're focused on the patient's anatomic left side, that I is lateral to the line you've drawn. The letter D for direct is, in fact, medial. I hope that kind of makes sense. So if you're going to look at the other side of the patient, you would just have to switch these around. For me, I just know it on one side and then just flip it around or even write it out on like an exam so I don't get confused. But in summary, indirect inguinal hernias are going to be lateral to the inferior epigastric vessels. Direct inguinal hernias are going to be medial to the inferior epigastric vessels. Why the left side? Why did I say focus on the left side? Well, this is just a bonus, but a varicocele, a torturous enlargement of the pampiniform plexus due to obstruction of the proximal obstruction of the spermatic vein. Varicoceles are one of the conditions within the differential diagnosis for an indirect inguinal hernia, and they occur more commonly on the left side. It's all about the left side today. I remember that fact that varicoceles are more common on the left because of the anatomical arrangement of the gonadal vasculature. And this is purely a heuristic from um, at least so far as I know. Uh, so if you recall, where do the ovarian and testicular arteries, the gonadal arteries come off of? They both directly come off the aorta. Left and right side both come off the aorta for the gonadal arteries. The veins, on the other hand, do something different. On the left side, the left gonadal vein dumps back into the left renal vein, while the right gonadal vein dumps back in directly to the inferior vena cava. So I always imagine like the left side, you know, it's more complicated, difficult for the blood to get back on the left side uh, of the gonadal vein because it dumps into the left renal vein. That causes like increased pressure. And so varicoceles more commonly occur on the left side. That is, again, just a heuristic, and I'm just trying to give you more <laughs> uh, things to remember about the left side and how you can use it to uh, understand in this particular um, set of conditions facts that might uh, help you keep things clear on an exam. At any rate, as I said before, indirect inguinal hernias are more common than direct. They are both congenital and acquired and are due to a patent processus vaginalis. Indirect inguinal hernias are lateral to the inferior epigastric blood vessels running from the deep inguinal ring through the inguinal canal to the superficial or external inguinal ring, and in men, follow the spermatic cord. By contrast, 
direct inguinal hernias are medial to the inferior epigastric blood vessels and are situated within Hesselbach's triangle, wherein the hernia sac protrudes through the posterior wall of the inguinal canal without involving the spermatic cord or in women the round ligament of the uterus. Direct inguinal hernias go through only the superficial external ring. And another mnemonic, which is much simpler, um, would be to remember that you might be an MD and medial equals direct. MD, medial, direct. So direct hernias are medial to the inferior epigastric blood vessels. So this brings up the um, uh, question of Hesselbach's triangle. Hesselbach's triangle consists of borders including inferiorly the inguinal ligament, laterally the inferior epigastric artery, and then the medial border of Hesselbach's triangle is the conjoint tendon formed from the aponeurosis of the internal oblique muscles and transversus abdominal muscles. More often than not, inguinal hernias are just uh, asymptomatic. Uh, patients may complain of or when they turn their head and cough uh, if they're males um, during a sports physical or annual exam, uh, there'll be like a groin bulge with an inguinal hernia, specifically indirect. You see a bulge at the, um, at the top of the scrotum or within the scrotum because it's passing through the inguinal canal whereas a direct hernia is more on the inferior portion of the abdominal wall, superior to the inguinal ligament within Hesselbach's triangle. The bulge may increase in size with intraabdominal pressure increasing, and truly this is a clinical diagnosis. And so that's, I think, probably enough as an intro here um, to inguinal hernias. Besides inguinal hernias, within the groin, there are also femoral hernias, wherein there's a protrusion of viscera through the femoral ring. Patients will have a bulge or swelling inferior to the inguinal ligament and medial to the femoral vein. And again, like the inguinal hernias, um, the bulge tends to worsen with coughing or straining. The thing to know about femoral hernias, they are more common in women, although Overall, they're uncommon. They're only about 5% of abdominal wall hernias. Women are more likely to have a femoral hernia uh, than a male. Plus, they're associated with a higher risk of incarceration or strangulation and need to be treated more urgently than inguinal hernias. And since femoral hernias are herniation of contents into the femoral canal through the femoral ring, let me remind you of the boundaries of the femoral canal. Using the mnemonic, the famous mnemonic navel, so from lateral to medial, the femoral nerve, artery, vein, empty space, where the femoral canal is, and lymphatics. All right, so that's the groin hernias. So the other abdominal wall hernia you need to know is the umbilical hernia. This can be congenital or acquired. In adults, it tends to be paraumbilical, where the hernia is adjacent to the umbilicus, whereas in kids, the site of the hernial defect is the umbilical orifice itself. In kids, it's due to failure of the umbilical orifice to close, uh, which it usually does by five years of age. 
And in adults, umbilical hernias tend to be acquired from, again, increased abdominal pressure. Clinically, you see a mass protruding through uh, the umbilicus itself, a bulge, or paraumbilically with uh, uh, adults. In children, 90% of congenital umbilical hernias will spontaneously resolve by five years of age as the umbilical orifice closes, and surgery is rarely necessary. In adults, paraumbilical hernias are often repaired just because there's a higher risk of complications. So there's some fast facts, knowledge, and definitions. So now let's get into the questions. A 54-year-old male presents to the clinic for a follow-up visit after a difficult inguinal hernia repair. He complains of a loss of sensation along his abdominal wall, penis, and scrotum. Which of the following is the most likely cause of his complaints? Is it A, recurrent hernia, B, obturator nerve entrapment, C, iliohypogastric nerve entrapment, or D, ilioinguinal nerve entrapment? And the correct answer is D, ilioinguinal nerve entrapment. So here are the teaching points. After a hernia repair, the iliohypogastric nerve can become entrapped and produces ipsilateral abdominal wall anesthesia, while entrapment of the ilioinguinal causes anesthesia to the ipsilateral penis, scrotum, and thigh. Finally, it's worth noting that the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, the sensory nerve to the lateral aspect of the thigh, is rarely damaged during open hernia repair, but can be damaged during laparoscopic repairs. Next up, a 27-year-old patient presents to the emergency department with pain and a mass in the right groin. He says that the mass is hard and he has not had a bowel movement for two days. The pain is excruciating and he's been unable to sleep. On physical examination, there is a firm mass in the right groin that is not reducible. The abdomen is distended, and there are absent bowel sounds. Upon leaving the room, the attending asks the medical student which of the following is true about strangulated hernias. The most appropriate response is A. They are never accompanied by intestinal obstruction. B. They are less common with an indirect than a direct inguinal hernia. C, they are usually reducible. Or D, they may have signs of air fluid levels on an abdominal radiograph. And the correct answer here is D, they may have signs of air fluid levels on an abdominal radiograph. So here are the teaching points. An indirect hernia occurs when a loop of bowel passes inside the inguinal canal, which can often obstruct. The inguinal canal surrounds the vas deferens and blood vessels. The bowel may also enlarge and extend into the scrotum. If the loop of bowel can be easily pushed back through the opening into the abdomen, the hernia is said to be reducible. A reducible inguinal hernia may slide back and forth as pressure on the abdomen changes. Rarely, the loop of intestine swells and may be strangulated and difficult to reduce. Once it becomes trapped, the blood supply to the bowel can become compromised and the bowel can become ischemic. The resulting gangrene can cause bowel death and, of course, pain. Incarcerated bowel frequently leads to obstruction. 
Abdominal radiographs may show air fluid levels from the obstructed bowel. This is a surgical emergency. Next, a two-year-old girl is brought to the pediatrician by her parents. They have noticed a bulge in her umbilicus. On physical exam, a hernia is noted, and it measures 2 by 2 centimeters, but the rest of the abdominal exam is unremarkable. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment? A. Surgery as soon as possible. B. Surgery within the next six months. C. Surgery only if the hernia becomes incarcerated. Or D. Surgery before age five. And the correct answer here is D. Surgery before school age. The umbilical hernia protrudes through a fibromuscular ring, and it usually closes without intervention. These hernias are usually a congenital defect and are surgically closed at age 5. They are more common in African Americans, and indications for surgery sooner include the development of complications like strangulation. A one-month-old newborn is brought to the pediatrician by his parents, who have noticed a small bulge within his scrotum. It seems to worsen when he cries, but when he relaxes, they no longer appreciate the bulge. Examination is benign and confirms the presence of a palpable bulge within the scrotum. What is the most likely cause of this finding? Is it A, torsion, B, fluid accumulation inside the tunica vaginalis, C, failure of the processus vaginalis to involute, or D, incarceration of the bowel? And the correct answer here is C, failure of the processus vaginalis to involute. Here are the teaching points. The patient most likely has an inguinal hernia. Inguinal hernias in children are caused by a patent processus vaginalis. In infants, an inguinal hernia should be repaired as soon as possible. If the hernia can be reduced manually, you wait 24 to 40 hours before performing the surgery to allow enough time for the edema to decrease. If the hernia cannot be reduced manually, then immediate surgery is required. Asymptomatic inguinal hernia still requires repair within two weeks of birth. Finally, it should be noted that fluid accumulation inside the tunica vaginalis is a hydrocele. Remember, the tunica vaginalis is the pouch of serous membrane that covers the testes. It's derived from the processus vaginalis of the peritoneum, which in the fetus precedes the descent to the testes from the abdomen into the scrotum. After its descent, that portion of the pouch which extends from the abdominal inguinal ring to near the upper part of it becomes obliterated. So in summary, failed closure of the processus vaginalis can lead to the development of a couple abnormalities you should know. Peritoneal fluid can travel down a patent processus vaginalis, leading to the formation of a hydrocele, while accumulation of blood in a persistent processus vaginalis could result in a hematocele. As well, the potential is there for the development of an indirect inguinal hernia. Finally, congenital malformation of the processus vaginalis is the leading cause of testicular torsion since a lack of attachment to the inner lining of the scrotum leaves the testicles free to twist. Next up, a 30-year-old female presents with a chief complaint of a bulge on her upper thigh. 
She notes that it is soft but tends to bulge more prominently whenever she coughs or strains. Physical examination confirms her findings and the bulge tends to increase in size when she strains. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, aneurysm of the femoral artery, B, a lipoma, C, a lymph node, or D, a femoral hernia? And the correct answer here is D, a femoral hernia. This is kind of a softball question, but I just wanted to include it so that uh, uh, to drive the point home about femoral hernias presenting in females and being located within the proximal portion of the femoral triangle. Here's the teaching points. Since the femoral canal is a continuation of the transverse fascia and the femoral ring opens to the abdominal cavity, femoral hernias can occur. The femoral sheath is located within the femoral triangle. Remember, the femoral triangle contains, from lateral to medial, the femoral nerve, the femoral artery, the femoral vein, an empty space, which is the femoral canal, and lymphatics. From lateral to medial, the mnemonic most common is navel, nerve, artery, vein, empty space, lymphatics. The femoral triangle has three borders you should also remember, superiorly, the inguinal ligament, laterally, the sartorius muscle, and medially, the adductor longus muscle. If you have trouble remembering the laterality of the navel mnemonic, uh, the nerve artery vein empty space lymphatics from lateral to medial, another mnemonic I came across was venous near the penis. So uh, the, the vein is more medial than the nerve and artery. Just quickly to mention a few of these distractors, um, A was an aneurysm of the femoral artery. Um, Aneurysms of high-pressure arteries like the femoral artery are typically firm and pulsate. Therefore, they don't fit the description of the bulge in this vignette. Whenever you're approaching questions on an exam, remember, related to hernias, that the movements of the bulge with coughing or straining as well as its softness, make the diagnosis of a hernia, in this case a femoral hernia, more likely. Next up, a surgeon is repairing an inguinal hernia through an open approach. The hernia itself has been chronically incarcerated, and he's been trying to isolate the spermatic cord from the hernial sac. Which structure is least likely to be injured during this part of the procedure? Is it A, the ilioinguinal nerve, B, the genitofemoral nerve, C, the pampiniform plexus, or D, the spermatic artery? And the correct answer here is A, the ilioinguinal nerve. So remember, this was which is least likely to be injured during an open inguinal hernia repair. So the ilioinguinal nerve emerges from the lateral border of the psoas muscle as it comes off the T12 and L1 nerve roots. The ilioinguinal nerve then crosses along the anterior abdominal wall at the iliac crest, just inferior to the hypogastric nerve. Then, the ilioinguinal nerve pierces the transversus abdominis and internal oblique muscles, sending a few neural branches to the iliohypogastric nerve. The ilioinguinal nerve supplies sensation to the pubic symphysis, medial and superior aspects of the femoral triangle, 
and the anterior scrotum in males and labia majora in females. Remember, you don't want to confuse the ilioinguinal nerve entrapment, which causes anesthesia to the ipsilateral penis, scrotum, and thigh, with iliohypogastric nerve entrapment, which produces ipsilateral abdominal wall anesthesia. And our final question for today. A 65-year-old female complains of a painful bulge in her right groin that she noticed one week prior. She also feels a sensation of dull heaviness in the same area. Her symptoms worsen when she is standing for a prolonged period of time and resolves when she lies down. She denies nausea, vomiting, constipation, abdominal pain, abdominal swelling, fever, and fatigue. Her past medical history is significant for type 2 diabetes and hypertension, for which she takes metformin and hydrochlorothiazide. On physical examination, there is a right-sided non-tender swelling medial to the femoral artery and below the inguinal ligament that is easily reducible. There is no erythema over the bulge. Which of the following is the best next step in the management of this patient? Is it A, surgical repair of the hernia, B, reevaluation in four weeks to assess the hernia, C, an MRI of the abdomen and pelvis, or D, recommend abdominal and groin muscle strengthening exercises with follow-up in one month? And the correct answer here is A, surgical repair of the hernia. So here are the teaching points. A hernia, as we've said before, is protrusion of abdominal contents through a weakness in the overlying muscular wall. Groin hernias are either inguinal or femoral. Inguinal hernias can be direct or indirect, as we described at the outset of this podcast. An indirect inguinal hernia is when abdominal contents protrude through a weakness of the internal inguinal ring. A direct inguinal hernia is when abdominal contents protrude through a weakness in the floor of the inguinal canal. A femoral hernia is a protrusion of abdominal contents through a weakness in the femoral ring, which is medial to the femoral vein and lateral to the lacunar ligament. Femoral hernias are more common in women because they have wider pelvises and wider femoral rings compared to men. A feared complication of hernia is incarceration or strangulation of the hernia. Incarceration means that the hernia can't get reduced. It gets trapped in the hernia sac and can't be reduced back into the abdomen or pelvis. The trapped contents within the hernia sac get compressed, which reduces the venous and lymphatic outflow, causing swelling and edema of the incarcerated tissue. The edema will accumulate until the arterial blood supply to the incarcerated tissue is compromised, and once it is, the hernia is now strangulated. Strangulation of the contents within the hernia sac causes ischemia and necrosis of the tissue and can be life-threatening. The definitive treatment of all hernias is surgical repair. Since femoral hernias are much more prone to strangulation than inguinal hernias, patients newly diagnosed with a femoral hernia should undergo surgery rather than observation regardless of the patient's age or symptoms. If strangulation occurs, emergent surgery is needed and usually involves bowel resection and has a higher mortality rate than elective, non-strangulated femoral hernia repair. Therefore, when encountering a femoral hernia, it is advised to repair it as soon as possible. 
All right, that's it for today. We've got one more uh, series of episodes. We'll probably split into two related to the general surgery chapter of our USMLE Step 2 and Shelf Exam Study Smarter series. If you haven't already, go download our iOS beta app. It features audio-optimized questions for Step 1. Those are powered by Lecturio and Exam Circle. And for Step 2, audio-optimized questions from Online MedEd. We are working hard on the second version of our app, which will be both Android and iOS compatible. But in the meantime, since this is still a couple months away, number one, you should go to our website insidetheboards.com, sign up for our email list so that we can send you a notification when the new app comes out, and perhaps offer some introductory discounts or trials to our hardcore Boards Insiders who support us at ITB. But two, you should download the iOS beta app now because while we're waiting for the second version of the app to be completed, we are adding some audio flashcards to the uh, iOS beta app, just quick hits to help you kind of learn bite-sized chunks of info that you can, as always, take with you to the exam center on exam day. So that's all for today. Thanks for listening. See you back next time.